We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the first edition of the CFB Nation State of Recruiting. My name is Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown, and I am here with John Garcia, Jr., the host of State of Recruiting. And, John, this is going to be a lot of fun, man. This is John John Garcia, Jr., the director of recruiting at SIL American. Uh, His podcast is going to be all about recruiting. The state of recruiting on a weekly basis, it is going to cover so many different topics. It's going to be a weekly show, may even sprinkle in some commitment previews, some commitment breakdowns, and all types of things along the way. But you can expect to hear John on CFB Nation every single week talking about whatever the most important news in college football recruiting is. John, thanks for so much for being a part of the CFB Nation uh, family. We are excited to get this rocking and rolling, man. Getting on the ground floor, the first person to sign with CFB, CFB Nation, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, sir, BD. Thank you for the invitation. And look, I got to say, it's it's nice to have this platform where we could kind of kick back, relax a little bit, and really just dig into what we want to talk about. And obviously, that is college football recruiting, the trends, the evals, the opinions, some predictions, as you mm-hmm. said, leading up to signing day, building the SI-99, everything in between, the flips, the decommitments, the teams that are red hot. I mean, talking all that at one time is going to be quite the 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 fun ride for us. And it's going to launch right when the season mm-hmm. starts. So it's it's perfect to do it at this time. And I couldn't be more excited to have a platform to just open up a little bit more. You know, we we, we send in a whole lot of uh, stuff to our editors, right? <laughs> Got to be in advance. It gets read through and all that. And that's great. And I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. But this, this is, this is the, uh, this is the prize. This is the reward for what we do to sit back and really just spew what, whatever comes to mind. We'll have some structure, but mm-hmm. we're going to hang out at the same time. And I think that's what most college football fans would like to hear. No question. And with recruiting being literally a 365 deal now, there's always something to talk about. And now there's offers going out to 25 and 26 kids, so it never ends. And, John, speaking of the latest news and what's going on now, 
y'all dropped the SI-99 last week. And uh, the what I love about SI-99 is there's two rankings, one before the season, one before signing day. There's not four releases, five releases between the end of the season and the start of the season when kids have played a grand total of zero games of football. Uh, so you put a lot of work into this. I'm, I'm very well aware of all the work you guys put in, going on the road, evaluating film from the season, going on the road during the season to see players in person, going to camps, going to workouts, doing your digging on kids' personalities and work ethics and all that kind of stuff, and put a lot into it. And voila, last week you guys dropped the first SI-99 for the 2023 class. Yeah, BD, big, big sigh of relief <laughs> with that 99. It, it was a lot of work, and and this year was unique in a lot of ways. Of course, we've got every year, we have so much more available data, right? Different data points, whether it's about the personality, like you mentioned, their off-field habits, their academics. So many items come across our desk to sift through that it really elongates the process towards not only ranking the entire 99, but trying to figure out who's number one. And this year, that was such a tough, tough sledding type of situation compared to years past. I mean, we were Travis Hunter pretty early last year. The year before, we were even earlier on Caleb Williams. And certainly before that, Bryce Young, et cetera. This year was was not like that. We, we did not have this clear number one guy from you know January or February. This was this was up until the the real tail end of the summer months, uh, and, and then we settled, of course, on Dante Moore, the quarterback from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, th- this is something we feel really good about, mm-hmm. but the road there was not an easy one. There were a lot of legitimate number one candidates: Cormani McClain, Keon Keeley, Arch Manning, Nico Iamaliava. Uh, Malachi Nelson. This this thing was was a wider pool than we ever really considered, and I think it's it's got the makings because of that of a really really great recruiting class. This class of twenty twenty three is one kind of for the books already, certainly from a, dr- a drama standpoint or a coverage standpoint, but also from a talent standpoint. I think we're going to be talking about this class for a long time. So excited about the ninety nine. But best believe that thing's going to change and flip a little bit once we get to January. But that's that's where the fun is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, that's the thing, John, I I was going to kind of go to next is I think this could be the year where there's the most movement from one to 25. I, you know, last year was kind of, you know, you, you had your top 
10 and top 15. And there was some movement, you know, guys emerged. Some guys maybe didn't quite do as well as their senior years. But because of the depth of this class where, you know, we're talking about guys at 25, 30, 35, that you could make a case for being top 10. Yes. And that's just how deep this class was. So, you know, you had the summer camps, the fall evaluations of seeing these kids in games and then getting into the all-star games. But more so with you guys, it's it's now it's time to really dive into the film of their senior years. I'm going to make a prediction now, John. I think the postseason SI-99 is going to look a lot different than the preseason SI-99. And that's what I think is going to make this, this 2023 class really fun and exciting to watch is because there's so many good players there's going to be some positions that break out that maybe we weren't thinking were strong going in. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the quarterback shake up and we'll get into the strengths of this class. And of course, quarterback is going to be a big part of this as we move forward, but this is going to be a, this is when the, it gets really fun. You've got your SI 99. Now it's time to get back to doing what I know you love to do, which is okay. It's time to watch some film time to watch some football and really see who lives up to what our expectations were going into the season. And it's really important to bring up because this is a preseason ranking, right? So this is a, you've done three years of varsity ball for most of these guys. You've given your final stretch of off-season camps, combines, seven-ons, all that fun stuff. But now it's about your senior year. This is the apex of the evaluation. And I think our industry, there's been such a chase for let's have the first rankings or the earliest rankings or the earliest to identify prospect X, right? Which is great, but that has diluted some of the importance of, hey, this is about rising up to your senior season. It's like when you watch the NFL draft, they're talking about the year that just finished in college football, not two or three years ago, barring you know injury or just some freaky athletic talent like a Derek Stingley. For the most part, they're talking about the season that just wrapped up. You know, hey, Mac Jones played his way into the first round. Mm -hmm. That's what they're talking about. So for us... That's kind of how we view it. You know, the senior season is that last sample where you should take another step forward. We saw a lot of guys take steps forward from sophomore year to junior year. Can you do it again as a senior, maybe with some fame, maybe with some money in some states where NIL is, is legal at the high school level? Certainly with more notoriety, you've made a commitment, right? You know, are you are you taking a step back? Or are you doubling down and saying, yeah, this is just the next step. I'm not, I haven't made it. I haven't arrived just yet. So that's why we value so much of what these kids do as seniors. And yeah, I, I agree with you. There's going to be a lot more changes to the 99 this year compared to last year. I looked it up. We made seven changes last year. Seven guys who weren't in the preseason 99 made the post. I think that number is going to be easily double digits this time around already. There's already some that I'm like, hmm. Maybe he should have been in there, right? So once we get into the season, a lot of those assumptions will become confirmation and we'll start shuffling the deck from there. But yeah, we put a huge onus on that senior season, just like most colleges do, by the way. So I, I do think that's a great point to bring up and how maybe we're structured a little bit different and how we operate. But yeah, we want to give you the, the, the realist list with the latest sample in mind, not not a four-year body of work. It's not a participation trophy. It's about the best kids leading up to, you know, their freshman year of college, which is, it sounds simple, but it's gotten away from that in the industry by, by a large degree. There's obviously a lot of differences with the SI-99 with certain players compared to other industries and other outlets. And this is not a question, it's not an attempt to show why yours is better or theirs is not good or taking shots at anybody. 
it's more of a because you've worked at other places. It's more of kind of to give an ins. I want to give people an insight into sort of what is in your head as far as you do things a little differently at SI ninety nine at SL American in regard to this is what we're emphasizing with our rankings. And so a lot of it, they talk about the NFL projection and all this other kind of stuff, but your focus is more on what kind of college football players are these guys going to be? Again, it sounds simple, but yes, it's not uniform across the industry. And I think that's really important in the message you're sending to your audience, right? In our case, it's college football fans across the country. We want to tell you, these are the best incoming 99 players in the, in the country for your college or, or your rival or whoever, right? So that that's really the, the simplicity of our evaluation process. So we are projecting for college success. Um, certain guys fit certain systems better in college and not so much in the NFL. There are countless examples of that. Uh, and, and we're not going to shy away from those guys. We want to lift those guys up because that's where the passion is. We, we cover college football. We love college football. So that's where we're going to point that arrow of projection and what comes with that on our end is our guys who are ready to do it earlier. It's not a three or four year kind of projection where we're not saying, Hey, in, you know, 2026, these are the 99 best players in the country. Like, no, we'd rather tell you about the 99 best underclassmen in the next year, year and a half, you know, with, with the, with the current 99 that we put out. So it's really about high floor players who are closer to ready to go than the raw young underdeveloped prospect doesn't mean those guys don't play their way in because you know a, a freak's a freak and you gotta samuel and pemba's gotta be high up there, right right nicholas just, harbour right yeah, it's another one ashley williams those. Right. right especially how, a premium do you, position. how do you balance that john like as you go through the process of a like Jaden rashada i think is a perfect example for that guy yeah you have Jaden rashada ranked really high he's not a high floor guy but you ranked him high not and it's not sort of out of line with your evaluation process and thought process, but sometimes the ceiling is so high that it bumps the whole thing up. And so how do you balance that when you're, when you're talking about really getting down to the nitty gritty of putting this 99 together and where guys are going to be, how do you balance that floor versus ceiling? And again, the focus being not on who may be a top 10 NFL draft pick in four years, but who could develop into a college all American. Cause again, the job of people doing this should be to project what they're going to be in college, not to the level beyond the next level. Right. Yeah. We're not, I'm not a scientist, so that's very hard to do <laughs> that far in advance. That's a great question though, because yeah, obviously high floor guys, you know, Dante Bohr, Arch Banning, Brandon Ennis, th those guys are going to be way up there and they are, but yeah, there's the Jaden Rashada. There's uh, you know, Nicholas Harbor, as you mentioned, there's some Cormani McClain, number two overall. Mm -hmm. That if the ceiling is just so darn high, you have to, you can't ignore that, right? Especially when it's athletically and at a premium position, like the guys we're talking about, pass rushers, corners, quarterbacks, offensive tackles. But there also has to be this counter, Brian. There has to be this body of work, at least for one year, on varsity against good competition, where you do see things come together. For, so for Jaden Rashada, you know, the COVID year, he, he got his feet wet and started a few games and showed some signs. But then in 2021, he really took a step forward from a production st standpoint. So he felt better about that projection than than most because, yeah, it's it's about the ceiling with him, the arm talent, the, just how smooth he is with the football, pushing the ball to the third level, all those things. But we also saw this really strong body of work come, to, 
come together, start to come together as a junior. And I think the same can be said for a lot of these other uh, high floor or excuse me, low floor, higher ceiling prospects that are in the top 10. I mean, Cormani McLean, you know, don't ask him to play cloud mm. in terms of his coverage. But 19 interceptions over the last two years tells me a lot about where his game is and where it will be kind of simultaneously. John, there's another interesting aspect to how you put a ranking together, which I think in the preseason ranking can make this a little bit you know, interesting and intriguing is there is a projection to where is a kid going? And this is important because a kid's skill set is what it is. And not every young man makes a decision to go to a place that is good at producing players of that position. Or they may say, hey, look, this kid's more of a, you may project the kid as more of like a, you know, a three, four edge or a, you know, stand up viper type of position or edge, you know, elephant, however people call it. But then he goes to a school that doesn't really have that. Or, you know, he's going to go to a four down team that wants him to put his hand in the ground. Or, you know, like you said, Cormani McClain, you say, don't put him cloud, but then he commits to a school and he hasn't yet where that is what they're going to ask him to do. So explain why it's important to, to have where a kid is going as sort of part of the evaluation process as you project these players to the next level? Another differentiator for us, and an important one, because it's it's really reporting 101 at the end of the day, right? We are journalists. We are here to project information and, and depth to our audience. And I think to ignore a very, very big data point, which a college commitment and where you're going to play, obviously, that's a huge data point uh, to ignore that altogether, which is another kind of industry standard, I think is naive. It is, it's a little bit uh, selfish even. I think we can say, Hey, um, you know, we, we don't have all the answers, but all these data points come together to provide a better answer than the one we had before we got all this information. And I think, yeah, the school where you're going relative to the position and your skill set, I mean, that's got to say a lot. Do, do you feel better about Nico Iamaliava going to Tennessee versus Oregon on the surface level? You well, know, that's an like argument that? that I've made, John. I told you before the you know, when this whole thing started, like, I'm not real high on Nico. To be honest with you. I've got some concerns about his long delivery and some of the other aspects of his game. But then he commits to Tennessee, and I'm like, okay, I just saw what Josh Heupel did with Hendon Hooker who was a very similar type of concerns coming out of high school, tall, skinny kid, raw, needs a lot of work. Well, I just saw what he did with him. I saw what he did with jo with Dylan Gabriel at, at UCF, and you're like, okay, he's going to a system that knows how to coach that kind of kid where if he was going to Stanford and David Shaw, who likes a different type of quarterback, I don't know if I would, would be as high on him in the ranking. So I think that's a really interesting aspect. And Nico, to me, more than any other quarterback, is the epitome of how that pick – really, to me, elevates my projection for him to the next level. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it's selfish to ignore that because you're saying uh, Nick Saban's evaluation and Dabo's and whoever, I, I'm I'm above that, right? I don't, I don't need that to help filter where my rankings might go. Um, so I just – it's a no-brainer for us, to be honest. So, John, you talked about the back and forth that you had, and, and really it was it was almost kind of like I felt like as we were talking and I was picking your brain about where the rankings were going to be, I kind of felt like we were leading up to the NFL draft, you know, back when it was like Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, where you've got all these great quarterbacks, 
and you're like, well, who who's going number one? You know, or even a, even a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah, obviously you you have those years where it's like there's just a lot of great guys who's gonna who's gonna kind of separate themselves. You settled in on not only Dante Moore from Detroit Martin Luther King High School being the number one quarterback, which is an accomplishment in itself in this class, but then also the number one player in the country. So talk to me, number one. Uh, we'll dive into Dante's game here in a minute, but just what was it that kind of led you and what was the process like that led you to saying, okay, of all the kids we could go with, and there are plenty that were in the conversation, Dante Moore's the guy that we got to put number one. Well, I think at the end of the day, his last 12 months at that position were the best in the country. And I think at, at that metric, it was by quite the margin. Whether you go to, to the 2021 season, 40 to three touchdown interception ratio, 3,000 yards, 70% completions, all the boxes you want checked, and a state championship, of course, mm -hmm. by the way. We saw so much more improvement in his game. The processing was faster. The, the risk-taking was greater, though it did not translate to a lot of turnovers. And we, we saw more functional athleticism, athleticism from him on tape as well. And then after the season, he follows it up with an unbelievable seven-on kind of camp circuit where every time we saw him, we saw him about four or five times this offseason, he was just better. By, by the time we got to June, he goes to Vegas and outthrows Nico and Malachi. Um, and Jaden Rashad, all at the same event. And then a couple of weeks later, goes to the Elite 11 Finals, and for us, kind of runs away with the thing. Nothing we expected this, this cycle because of the depth at quarterback. Now, Nico and Arch Manning didn't go to the finals, so that is a bit of a caveat. But really, Dante was, was not going to be denied over those first few days in particular where he was just – far and away the best quarterback on hand from an accuracy standpoint. And then it became from like a consistent velocity standpoint, which is really one of the pseudo knocks on Dante's game, right? He's a shorter intermediate guy, controlled, high floor, accurate passer. But then we're seeing him uncork some stuff and it looks totally different. And now we, we've got some answers to the few questions we had on Dante. So at every step of the way, he answered the bell competitive the demeanor never changed quietly confident so all the stuff off the field kind of galvanizing leader type of personality as well that you also want at that position those were checked and of course vetted and, and confirmed uh, independently thereafter so really in the last 12 months he had the best run but then you go before that he went to another state championship he grew physically every year and the production at that position grew every single year uh, and maybe what the last thing that if I had any doubt the last thing that put me over the top is I was talking to his head coach uh, a couple weeks before we were ready to go with the number one call and I asked him about like memorable moments where he realized Dante was going to be one of these special players both situations he brought up Brian were losses one was his first start they're playing a big time team out of state I forget the team off the top apologies and he's just getting beat up as a freshman. But he just kept getting up, and he ended up going like on the game-tying drive late in the game. And, and he said, that was the first time that I was kind of like, okay, now I kind of get it. And then another example was a state title game uh, where Dante was like blow for blow. Or excuse me, it was a, it was a game against Carmel, Indiana, mm -hmm. where it was a Hail Mary beat him. But before that point, Dante went like crazy, 450 yards, balls 
outside the numbers, down the field, just kind of the stuff that they didn't really ask him to do. He he put the team on his back and and helped them get in position to win a shootout that, of course, ended in a Hail Mary. And it was at that point where he was just like, this is the best quarterback in the country. And he said other coaches came up to tell him about that as well. So those were two losing scenarios, which I think is for Tyrone Spencer, the head coach at, at King, says a lot about him as a head coach, but I think it says obviously a lot about Dante as well. When you don't point to the Elite 11 or something that's so easily tangible, hey, Michigan offered him in seventh grade. Let's point right. to that. No, he pointed to two losses. So I think it tells you a lot about kind of Dante, the the, the kid, the quarterback, uh, not the thrower or the guy called in the plays in the huddle, but, but the football player and the person and the leader, which is those kind of benefit of the doubt moments that, that really help push somebody over the top. So – all, all things considered, when, when you put the full body work together, we felt most comfortable with him, especially with what we talked about earlier, uh, the high floor stuff. I mean, that is the bread and butter. Our QB1 last year was Cade Klubnick, the highest floor quarterback in the class. And right now we think Dante is that guy in 2023. So we're not going to dive into like a full film analysis of of Dante. This isn't what that show is about, but just – you know, for people who maybe haven't seen a lot of Dante Moore, what is what are the things that as you as you break down the film and you look at his game, you say, OK, these are the things that make Dante physically right. There's the mental stuff, the leadership, the toughness that you talked about, but got to be able to spin it. Right. What are the things you see that in Dante as a player on film at the camps and make you say, OK, in a year loaded with top elite quarterbacks? this is the guy that we're, we're going to hang our reputations on and say he's number one. Well, you're seeing it here uh, on, on the convenient uh, video sample, Mr. Production there. It's, it's polish. There's polish all over the place when you look at Dante Moore, whether it's the footwork in the pocket, manipulating and getting outside the pocket, but always square, willing to take that hit, all that toughness we talked about, but he's always square towards his target, the timing and, and anticipation is always on. And then as you get to his junior tape, which I believe this is, the ball placement just starts mm -hmm. to get better. He's throwing guys open uh, before they break at, at the top of the route. He, he's just kind of in, in full control uh, of his game while he's, again, physically gotten bigger too because he was, mm -hmm. I, I think, 180, 85 pounds or so uh, during this tape. Now he's over 200 pounds. So he's, he's continuing to physically mature throughout all of this, but uh, the polish, the accuracy, the timing really stand out, the decision-making, which really is, is the fundamental of the quarterback position. You are the point guard out there. You, you set the table. Uh, all of that stuff really off the charts. And then when you get into the physical, not only the, the functional athleticism we talked about, but the delivery is concise. Hmm. It's condensed. It's quick. The trigger uh, can get to, from A to B really, really fast. And as he as he gets bigger, we're going to only see that strength become more of a strength. Uh, so I just think uh, Dante, from a, a pure foundational element of, of what quarterbacking is supposed to be, is a scheme versatile, high floor prospect uh, who's going to go out there and, and win you a ton of games at the next level. I really don't see a scenario where he he doesn't come in, compete early, and then you know rattle off you know. 25 30 wins before he's all said and done at the next level so john obviously a quarterback in today's era has to be able to play from structure and and all the things you talked about really fit well to playing within structure 
I think the thing that really impresses me too about Dante is he also, for a kid who has the clean mechanics, the clean, you know, it's like this kid's been taught how to, how to throw a football. Like he's got really clean footwork, really clean mechanics, consistent delivery, consistent release point. But he's also a kid that has shown he can play when he's got to go off script. How, if you want to use that word, I like to use the word street ball. Like, can you change your arm angle? Can you make a pass as you're getting hit, as you're getting, you know, throwing down and you're throwing across your body? He's shown a bit to do that type of stuff too, which I think in a modern offense can really be the thing that separates you from the other quarterbacks because you don't necessarily need that at Oregon when you're playing Arizona or Cal or Stanford. But what to, to beat USC, to beat some of the teams that are going to be on the schedule moving forward, to get to the postseason, get victories, try and take Oregon to the next level, those are things you're going to have to do in those big moments, and that's something he's also shown an ability to do, I think. Yeah, and it's probably the most underrated element of his game. You know, he's known as this this pocket passer, uh, accurate, all that stuff. But, yeah, nobody really talks about his ability when things do break down, whether it's a defensive lineman in his face or or, or truly uh, working outside the pocket. And I think that's another thing we, we kind of wanted to ask questions about uh, in, in this process. And, you know, we found out that he's He's been running with the track team in practice for three years. He just they don't let him compete in the meets. Uh, so, you know, just little things you find out when you're digging in on these kids that that really kind of help push a narrative over the top, because, you know, it's it's great to look at the strengths like you talked about. But, you know, when you're splitting the hairs for the number one guy, it's like, OK, what are these weaknesses or perceived areas for improvement? And are they truly that? Um, that that's really the next step there as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, he can't move. He's not a great athlete. So he's just this pocket guy who has to go to a pro style Stanford, you know, Michigan type of offense. Not, not necessarily the case here when you dig a little bit deeper. And, and like you said, you see countless samples of, of him making work when things aren't perfect uh, throughout that 2021 tape. So, again, those boxes are checked if you look deeper or dig deeper in, in a classic reporter sense. Uh, we happen to do both. And, again, it just kind of reinforced the narrative that this is probably our safest bet for the number one pick in the preseason. We'll, we'll see how it develops. And there's, again, a lot of great candidates. But going into the season, especially with the last 12 months apexing at the right time, we felt like it was truly, you know, Dante Moore at the top and then everybody else. John, there is there is one prospect in this class that I that I think is the most polarizing in the country in this class. And and he and that is quarterback Arch Manning, who is from uh, obviously Bishop Isidore was it actually Isidore Newman. Correct. Excuse me. Yep. Uh, from Louisiana. Son of Cooper Manning, who is the brother of Eli and Arch, Arch uh, Peyton Manning, son of Archie Manning. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about him and, and people like to have really bad hot takes on Arch. Right. And you've got some people like, oh, he's number one player in the country. And I was like, oh, I think so. And and then there's the the ridiculous hot takes. Oh, he's not that if his name wasn't Manning, he wouldn't even be a top 100 player. Somebody even had the audacity to say something as silly as, you know, he's a three star kid. And I'm like, yeah. OK, now we're just being ridiculous. Right. But there is sort of an in-between on Arch Manning. And I know he's a guy that you guys had some trouble saying, okay, where exactly do you place Arch and, you know, respecting the game, but then also not trying to buy into some of the hype in either direction. So and just talk to me about what the process was like of evaluating Arch, especially since he's not on the summer circuit where you can see him spinning the ball next to these other guys, you know, what's his body type compared to them? You know, how's the ball come out of his hand compared to these guys? How does he handle the heat 
know, we had you on at Irish Breakdown talking about CJ Carr and the event he was at in Nashville, how hot it was, and guys are puking and sweating, and CJ's just dropping dimes, right? Yeah. You get to see those type of things. You didn't get to see that with Arch. So just kind of talk about the, the scenario of where you saw Arch, you know, how you evaluated him, and then also how you settled in on him at number 10. Because I know there's some thoughts of maybe having him higher. There's some thoughts of maybe having him lower. So, Arch Manning, how did you handle the conundrum that is evaluating and ranking uh, Arch Manning? Yeah, the most famous, you know, high school football recruit in in the modern era uh, already is going to bring a whole lot of scrutiny and eventually, you know, too much praise and then too many haters on the back end. Uh, nothing, none, none of which is his fault, obviously, that, that goes without saying. But yeah, this was a hard one. There's really no other way to to begin that part of the conversation. Uh, of course, you know, on the front end, this is, you know, t- taking the, the legacy stuff out because that's obvious. Right. And, and look, that does give you some benefit of the doubt. We talked about data points, all things even you you do trust the the bloodlines, the legacy at that position and the people that are going to be and are around him you know, in the high floor department, that, that does carry some weight. So let's not, again, let's not use that as a reason to knock them. Let's actually use that as a reason to lift them up. Um, That's I want to, I want to, can we focus on that just for a second? Because I, I, I like that you said that I haven't heard anybody say it like that before. People shouldn't knock him because he's a Manning. If anything, I think it's something that you look at and say, okay, there's a level of confidence there. A, you know, the genes, you know, the, you know, the, the bloodline, so to speak grandfather uncles all great quarterbacks hall of fame quarterbacks but you also know this is a young man that's lived in the spotlight his whole life right he has lived in the manning he's going to the same high school that eli and arch and his dad went to and he's still been able to kind of stay above it all you know and he's not a guy that's on twitter all the time and announcing his commitment on espn and all the things he i mean look if anybody could have done the whole you know driving up in a limousine to his commitment thing like <laughs> jimmy clausen did back in 2007 Arch Manning is that kid that could done that, could have done that, but he's not that. So I, I like the fact that you did point to the fact that his last name is something that we should say, well, if there's any kind of pedigree or any kind of lineage that we can follow and say that family knows how to produce great quarterbacks, it is the Manning family. And so that's not something that should be held against Arch, which some people on the opposite end of maybe pumping him up too high because of his last name, because of the maybe it's more of the clickbait related ranking. Uh, also people to bang him for it. That's definitely not something that should be held against him for as a, as a prospect. A hundred percent. And, and I, you know, I feel for him in that regard. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it should give you benefit of the doubt with him, not all the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. but it should give you some, at least at the surface level. And again, in the high floor department, that's a pretty big box to check on our end. But if you remove yourself from that part of it, there's still a really nice body of work here. This is a, three-year varsity starter, deep playoff runs each year. Yes, it's private school ball in Louisiana. It is not, you know, the you know inner city New Orleans ball. We understand all of that, but the, the production has still increased. The winning has still been, uh, you know, very, very common uh, under uh, Arch Manning there at, at Newman High School. And then physically he has made some strides. He was always tall and lanky. Obviously, again, we, we know the family uh, build there, not known as, as the most, you know, you know, filled out muscular bunch. But he's starting to come around in that regard. And that was really the first indicator for me. I think he played at about 190 last year. A lot of us watched him on TV. The Berkeley prep game was 
was one of the bigger games of of the the TV version of the high school season. And at times he looked pretty good, but you know, running away from Keon Keeley is is not fun for everyone. And at times he looked pretty humble athletically in that regard. So coming out off of some of the 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 full game evals we did last year, we said, I wonder if he can get a little bit bigger. And then, of course, as you mentioned, he doesn't do all the Elite 11 and Nike and all that stuff. So you got to go see him. You know, so we did go over to, to Newman High. And when, when we're introduced to Arch, it's like I'm looking at Andrew Luck. And he's 6'4", 225. And I'm like, this, is, this isn't this is the kid I saw running around against Berkeley Prep trying to trying to get a dub. This is this is a bigger, more mature kid. And, yeah, we, we start backtracking there. And you're like, okay. What happened here? Well, he he realized that, yeah, athletically, he wasn't where he wanted to be. Physically, durability-wise, he wasn't where he wanted to be, so he started to make a change. Again, these are all very good signs. So then you start to pair it with the, the traits we do see from a quarterbacking standpoint. And look, the footwork is excellent. The pocket presence is really good. Ironically enough, the mechanics aren't the best. He's, he's He throws a good ball and has plenty of power. But, you know, he's, he's got a kind of a condensed, a, a little bit funky motion relative to what you would expect. Again, if you bought into the whole ma- Manning and the name thing. So I actually thought he had work to do mechanically. And, and so we've seen a little bit of stride from his junior year to this offseason in the limited sample that we've actually seen with him spinning it. Um, and another benefit of the doubt item for Arch for us was they're going to open up that offense. So there's a little bit of projection in there. They're going to allow him to control a lot more of this offense. They're going to go more up-tempo, more spread, because they're not as equipped up front as they were over the last few years. So the success of Isidore Newman is going to have a lot to do with Arch Manning, which is what you want. If you're going to play private school ball, put put it all on, on that guy and let him have a, the opportunity to truly dominate. Think Cam Newton at Auburn. Uh, even going to the high school levels, think of Caleb Williams a couple years ago at, at Gonzaga in, in D.C., Travis Hunter, the number one from last year at Collins Hill, doing it on both sides of the ball in the Atlanta area. Go dominate in your system or as it expands. So I think Arch is going to have a lot of, of ahead of him for that. So because of all that, we were, we were like you said, somewhere in the middle where, you know, he was in contention for number one, uh, but, but there were probably too many questions from a competition standpoint, uh, from a mechanical standpoint for us to give him that nod. But the foundation, the floor is obviously sky high. The the increased build, I thought, was a huge marker for him uh, in terms of stacking him up with some of these other top quarterbacks in the class. So you throw that in with the expanding offense, and we kind of gave him some some clout in that regard there as well. So he comes in at QB5 uh, and in the top 10 overall for us. Uh, so it's it's really a back and forth with all these guys. I think the quarterback he's most similar to is actually Dante Moore. So I do think that there's some interesting high floor conversation between those two. But either way, we were going to get crap for it no matter what. We did. We're moving on. Uh, it was tough. And it'll probably get tougher this year for Arch. There's there's really no, no way around that. Oh, I just love how ranking a guy 10th is somehow an insult. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. But he is ranked number one by rivals on three, two, four, seven, and then number two overall by ESPN. Yeah, so we're the uh, lowest in the world on Arch Manning at number yeah. 10 overall. I had him lower than that, but I'll say the one thing that that I, I, I do feel works in his advantage is I think making the decision to go play for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas 
was the best decision I think he could make just from a football standpoint. I, I can't get into all the other reasons why he might have picked Texas, but just looking at it from a football standpoint, I, I don't know if there was a better pick for him out there than going to Texas. I think you're talking about someone who has a system that is going to really uh, – he's going to thrive in. It's a system that doesn't require a huge arm. Mac Jones doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, and he was I – mean, he mastered that offense in a way that we haven't seen other, anyone other than Joe Burrow master an offense in the last 10 years. And he's going to be surrounded by really good players. So I thought, and he's going to get out of the Southeast, you know, the SEC where his uncle and dad and it, it, both uncles and dad played and his grandfather played. He's kind of, well, actually, he's he's going to still be in the SEC. They're going to go there, out, yeah. <laughs> he's getting out of the Southeast region. Uh, he's going to be playing in the Southwest at Texas. So for me, that was something that bumped him up a little bit in my ranking because I, I, like you, I, I think that you have to be able to evaluate where a kid is going if you're going to project how he's going to do at the next level. So I did like the decision for him to go to, to play for Sarkees, and I think that's going to be a really good fit, really good yeah. fit for him. That said a lot about him too, right? It could have been so easy to go to Georgia, Bama, or even follow the uncles, right, Tennessee mm-hmm. or Ole Miss. And then you play into that, and you're kind of the savior no matter what. But Texas, that is mm-hmm. that takes a lot of you-know-what uh, in this regard because that's you know that's been one of those teams that we kind of – I don't want to say laugh at, but laugh at. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of one of those. Good for a while. Are right. you back or are you just saying it? You know, it, I think until Georgia won this year, they were kind of in that boat, right? It was like you haven't been good in a very long time, or elite number one good in a very long time. So I, I do think it takes uh, a lot of maturity to make the decision that he did, especially with all that scrutiny. And, and like you said, the, there's more benefit of the doubt in how he's handled the process as well. Uh, just He just committed with a tweet. It was his first tweet ever. Uh, I think he just said, hey, I'm committed to Texas, hashtag hook him or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. I, I like that. I mm-hmm. like that. I think he's he's going to be business-like, although everyone around him says he just wants to be a kid, and, and that's probably true. But he knows what is expected of him and that he'll basically never be able to meet those expectations. So even to have to have a chance to come close – He's going to really have to handle things from a business-like manner from the jump, and I think he's already shown a, a lot of that. So I, I'm I'm rooting for him. I'd love to see him take a big step as a senior and make it that much harder for us to rank him after the season. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm expecting. I do think he's going to play his way into our, you know, number one conversation again. John, one of the fascinating things of following recruiting, and I've followed recruiting a long time, even before I started getting into this business, you know, I was always a big fan of looking at the rankings and watching film and and doing all that stuff. And I'm a little bit older than you, not too much, but a little bit older than you. So I still remember breaking down film on VHS. And, you know, when the internet first started, it, it was impossible to get this film. Now there's so much more film available. And one of the things you get a chance to see as you, as you look at the various classes over the years is, Every year there's different strengths. You know, some years, oh, wow, this is a loaded running back class. Sometimes you're like, I don't know if there's these running backs deserve to be in the top 100. You know, so every class is going to be different. A couple of years last year, okay quarterback class. Not, you know, you know, 2018, tremendous quarterback class. You know, we see it in different years. So as you evaluate the this 2023 class, not just the SI-99, but just in general, what are the positions positions to you that really stand out is if you want to get a big time player at this position, this is the year to do it. Yeah. I think quarterback goes without saying, you know, you kind of hinted at it there. We've talked about it for, for most of the show. 
it's a great year at the position. We had, I think, 11 QBs in the 99. It could have been more easily. It's it's a really great year at the top, not only the debate for number one, but with great fits thereafter, right? You know, Chris Vizina to Clemson is, is a really nice fit, developmental down the line kind of thing. You know, he's not even getting talked about as, as one of the guys in this class. So I think there's a lot of great depth at quarterback. Austin Novosad to Baylor, great fit on and off the field. And the list kind of goes on and on. That goes without saying. But really, the two positions that even more than quarterback in terms of volume and depth, it's wide receiver and defensive end or edge, right? We'll talk edge mostly as as we talk about the modern game. Those two spots, Brian, really, again, dominated the conversation. We could have put 45 of those guys into the 99. We didn't. uh, I think the number was still like 34. It was was 17 and 17. uh, But we could have pushed 40, 50 just with those two positions, because it is that loaded in this class. So naturally, the debate for the number one, even two, three, four, five at those positions was really, really hard to to break down uh, because there is so much not only high end talent, but variance. And I think that's that's the key, especially, you know, talking to wide receiver. You know, we rank slot receivers at SI as well. So the Brandon Ennis versus Zachariah Branch conversation as as maybe wide receiver one for us was really tough. They both ended up number one because Branch is the number one slot. But, man, a lot of contention in the top of that group. Uh, but because these guys are different, right? Brandon Ennis is your your John Mechie. He's third and six, reliable, high, high floor, excellent route runner, tough, physical, great after the catch, competitive, all, all these things. And then Branch is just juice. He is wheels route running, explosiveness, give him the ball anywhere and he could take it the distance. So you're talking about a, almost a floor versus a ceiling guy right there at that number one overall at one position. So once you get into that uh, skill set variance, it gets really interesting. Then you, at receiver, you get a whole lot of size variance too, right? At edge, it's a little bit more conventional, but at receiver, you get a lot of size variance. You know, you got, you know, six force Tyler Williams from Lakeland, Florida, and then you've got, you know, Eugene Wilson from just down the road in Tampa at, you know, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but absolute wheels. And they're ranked around the same nationally, but they're so different. They couldn't be more different. So I think that's what's fun about the evolution of not only the types of receivers we get, but the premium that that, that we're, we're really evaluating them with top to bottom. I mean, they're getting the biggest contracts in the NFL. They're going top 10 in the draft there they i mean Devonte smith just won the heisman two years ago that position if we start to expand the premium position numbers that's probably the position that's next up and it's because of some of this this high-end talent and variance conversation that we're seeing in this class of 23 and then edge kind of goes without saying you got to get after the passer it's 2022 it, it is the most essential thing to do defensively so naturally a lot of these players that you know came up playing all these different positions are just kind of getting filtered down towards that edge spot to get after the passer. And this group is is one of the best that we've scouted in, the, in a very long time, led by, of course, Keon Keeley, the Notre Dame commitment who everybody still wants. Uh, so that'll be a storyline, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. We talk about once or twice, but uh, it's a great year at edge. And there's some some variance there, too. I think there's a lot of different types. But obviously, body type-wise, there's a lot more similarities compared to the wideouts. 
I think that's the interesting thing is, you know, you look at a guy like him and then Damon Wilson and then the Rasal kid from Alabama. There's there's just so much difference in the type of edge players in this class. You know, there's the guy that's more of a a pure, just a big six, six long rangy guy like Keon. I think Damon Wilson isn't quite as long as as Keon, but very similar type of game, you know, long, athletic, twitchy. And then there's the guys that are more built on power and maybe like an off-ball type of edge, like a Malik Bryant who could you know be a 3-4 outside linebacker in certain defenses, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that variance is interesting, John. And I, I think that's an interesting part of this class too. And you were talking to me about this before the show. There's some really interesting kids in this class. I mean, you're talking about Nicholas Harbor is a kid that you could recruit for probably five different positions and he projects as a star at all of them. You know, Samuel yeah. Pemba. Notre Dame's recruiting him as kind of rover, will, linebacker. Other teams look him as an edge rusher. Some teams at, at the beginning were looking at him as a tight end. Yeah. Ronan Hannafin was a guy that that his final three schools was Notre Dame, Alabama, and Clemson. Notre Dame and Clemson were recruiting him as a wide receiver. Alabama was recruiting him to play linebacker where Christian Harris played last year. You know How many kids can say that they're, they're pursued by those programs for completely different sides of the ball? We're not talking like slot versus boundary receiver. Right. We're talking about offense versus defense. Darren Gallette is an is a athletic linebacker that some teams like as an off-ball guy. Other teams like him as an edge. Oh, and by the way, he had 1,400 yards receiving last year in high school. Jackson yeah. Howard, when the process began, was one of the best tight ends in the class. Now he's in your SI-99 as a defensive end. You know, I think this is a really fascinating class from that regard that there's just some guys that you're like, I don't know where this guy is going to play. And I'm sure that has to make it difficult when you talk about floors, fit, and all those type of things that you're like, I don't even know where this kid is going to play, but here's what I know. Wherever they end up with him, that kid's going to be really, really good. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think that obviously is is what it's about in that overall ranking. The positional rankings are great, but really – that's where that overall ranking comes in because that's where you really see, hey, I don't care where he projects. This is where we think he's going to be overall, and, and obviously there's a lot of uh, small numbers next to some of these guys that, that we've been talking about. And I think the position projection part of this is, is important too. You know, We kind of make our call, but yeah, a lot of these college programs are on the fence just like we are, and I think that's a beautiful thing, right? These kids are not only showing a certain skill set that may project that another, but they're also growing. And then they're, you know, some of them are just freakazoids. I mean, Nicholas Harbour is running 10-2 at, at 240 pounds. I mean, it is, what in the world? You know, it, this is not something we, we see, you know, every day. So I think that's it's a fun conversation. And and that's why we really went against the grain with a lot of these. Uh, you know, we've got Quay Rousseau as an, as an off-ball backer. Again, we've seen him in person since he was a freshman. And now he's like 6'2 and a half, 240 and just rocked up. I mean, he looks like he's an NFL backer right now. So he's most valuable as an edge prospect. But now when you put together his build and, and the volume that he plays with from a, a tackling perspective, you say, well, maybe he's a Rashawn Evans. Maybe he's a guy who has some edge ability, but you're going to move you know, to that Mike Backer spot or, or, or even play some Sam, depending on, on you know, the, the down distance of personnel that you're going up against, because he can do all of those things so very, very well. So there's a lot of position projections like that that were a little off script for us. But uh, again, the conversation to get to this point is really fun. And look, we can always switch it. We can always switch it. We've got a lot of guys that are in between edge and interior defensive linemen. 
like a Jason Moore or Peter Woods. Um, and then you've got some other guys who are, you know, between corner, we rank Nichols as well. So we've got some corner nickel safety hybrids that really can go either way. So it's, it's really fun to see, you know, physically how these guys progress as well, because sometimes the question just get gets answered for us. Like, oh, this guy was 240 when we first evaluated him. Now he's 275. Well, we could slap an interior lineman tag on him, but it's certainly not always that simple, but it, it's fun nonetheless. When you follow recruiting, John, one of the fascinating things, you know, so what I do, obviously, for what we do at Irish Breakdown is, you know, we kind of look at where all the kids are, are ranked and just to provide context to our readers about it. And this has been one of the weirdest years when you look at the variance in rankings, you know, look at Micah Bell, for example, the Notre Dame commit, who is you guys have uh, at uh, SI 99, you have him ranked 89th overall. He's also a top 100 player, according to ESPN. He's a top 100 player by 247 Sports. And yet, on three has him as a three star recruit that's not even in the top 50 in the state of Texas. You know, you look at a, uh, another player that, that you have ranked high, Colton Vasek from another Texas kid who you have ranked. You know, in in your SI 99, he checks in at number 85 overall. 247 Sports doesn't even have him in their top 247. On three has him ranked number 202. So it's a really fascinating year, which means there's going to be kids that, that because you guys don't look at other people's rankings. You're just focused on the film and what you evaluate. So, of course, there's going to be some kids that kind of jump up into the SI 99 that then when you step back and look at, okay, well, where do these guys have them, which I think is a fun process after the fact, so, you know what? Like, we got this guy a lot higher. So, let's talk about some of the guys that you really liked in this class that you either have higher than other people by a little bit or maybe by most, or some guys that are just like, you know, just blow away like where everybody else has them. So, let's talk about some of your favorite recruits in this class, John, that, that people may view as like sleepers or guys that other people don't value as much as SI All American does. Well, you talked about Darian Gallette earlier, and man, we could have a whole show based on this kid. You mentioned the production on offense as well as defense. That's something we love really at any position. But when you talk about you know projecting that towards an edge or off-ball linebacker spot where you could get some of those hybrid opportunities, that, that was a no-brainer for us. I mean, that's a top 50 kid off-rip. There's not a whole lot of conversation that that needs to go into it. He is more athletic than you, despite being bigger and stronger than you as well. I mean, that is something that is really hard, especially in the state of Texas, to see in, in one singular athlete. And that's probably a whole other theme of this class is some of these really freaky, out-of-this-world athletic types that could stand on their own in any class, and that yet they're all seemingly in this class of 2023. So he's certainly one as a clear top 50 prospect that I, I was surprised to learn wasn't unanimous uh, after releasing the 99 for sure. I, I think maybe our biggest variance is Caden Lee, the receiver from Georgia who consensus three-star recruit, by the way, man, that's, you know, I used to be in the star game, so I'm not going to knock it, but that's tough. Uh, when, again, we talked about receivers increasing in, importance across the sport right it's the next premium position if we start expanding that list um not that we'll talk much expansion on this podcast by the way uh, but if we start expanding that list it receivers really that next spot everybody understands that it's more important and outside of brandon ennis i know i've talked to you about this outside of brandon ennis who's wide receiver one by the way and not just by us which we've we've come to find out outside of him i think caden lee is the most reliable route running and hands catcher in the entire class. 
how could that not be something that is valued across the board? This is a kid who understands zone coverage. He is one of the better route runners, period, in the class. And then again, he really maximizes his six foot, 185 pounds, whatever it is his frame, and, and really can go pluck the football out of the air, which is something that we really relegate towards boundary or, or conventional wide receivers. But when you can do that in the slot, now you have increased red zone value. You have increased third down value. I mean, and that's what the game is about. That tells me you've got great awareness and body control on top of the technical polish that you show as a great route runner uh, who can run, by the way. It's not like he's a slow player. It's just not the first element you talk about when you're discussing his game. You have two Auburn commits also ranked a lot higher than a lot of other people. Uh, Jeremiah Cobb and Ashley Williams. Jeremiah Cobb is a running back out of Alabama. The highest ranking for him is number 148 by rivals. Everybody else has him outside of the 200. And Ashley Williams, it's an even greater transparency. And these are two kids that you and I both talked about as you were putting the rankings together about, I don't know what I'm missing relative to everybody else, but this is a kid that this kid's a top 100 football player. So talk to me about what you saw in these two Auburn kids, Jeremiah Cobb and Ashley Williams, that made you say, hey, these are guys that are among the best players in college in, in high school football projecting to the next level, no matter what else maybe some other people might think about them. Well, I think both guys, first of all, benefit from their positions. Um, it, it's the year of the edge. We've talked about it. And physically, there are not five edges that you would line up ahead of Ashley Williams from a height weight standpoint, 6'5", 6'6", 240 pounds, but yet he plays like he's much smaller. Look at the leverage and bend he's playing with at that size. That is very hard to do up at Zachary High School in Louisiana. Another state title team, by the way. I love state title winners. That is one of my – I love those little data points there in the end. And then, you know, it, it's, it's apparent he's the alpha on this defensive line, yet – through a lot of double teams, which we've already seen on tape here, he is still like the first guy off the ball and the guy making the play at the contact point, whether it's sacking the passer or, or getting in on TFLs. I think he had over 30 you know, TFL sack combination stats uh, coming out of last year. I mean, the production is there too. Uh, and then he's got this frame that you know he's going to increase. You know, he's, You know he's going to – whether he stays as an edge or as one of these guys we move, you know, to interior defensive line down the line because he's 265, he brings some extra juice. And then look, look at him breaking on the ball in right. coverage. I mean, it's like, what? You don't expect that stuff. There's the number, 36 stops behind the line of scrimmage. You don't expect that mobility and movement right. skill from a player his size. So he's one I wasn't aware of 12 months ago. I think he committed to Nebraska late in the spring. And I'm like, look at Nebraska going down to Louisiana. And then I watched the tape and I was like, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. How? This, I'm like, this kid's not going to Nebraska. No disrespect, <laughs> Scott Frost. <laughs> this kid, the Louisiana kid who can do this, he's got SEC written all over him. And, and obviously that's, that's how it turned out. But there's just so much to like about Ashley Williams that he's one kind of like Caden Lee, where I'm like, I, I don't get it. I've, I've right. only been doing this 12 years, but I'm like, I don't what else do you need to see from a player at that position with right. that kind of production to, to move them up? I don't get it. the interesting thing is with Caden Lee, I I kind of you, you and I talk, I view him as kind of in the middle of the two. I don't have him in my top hundred, but I definitely don't see a three star kid. I kind of have him in the middle. And the reason I say is 
I don't know if the ceiling is there for Caden sure. Lee, right? So, because you you love the floor, which makes sense. I would argue that if we're talking about ceiling for Ashley Williams, we're talking about a top 50 guy. Yeah, we might have him too low. Right. Well, exactly. You have him at 88. So that's where I struggle with Ashley Williams is even if you're someone who like, you know, David Hicks, for example, we could have a conversation about, you know, David Hicks is where he is because of the floor, because, you know, the day he steps on campus, he's at least going to be a good football player. But then you're like, oh, how good is he really going to be? You understand why people miss on those guys. To watch this kid and, and, to, and people think he's not a top 250 football player, much less top 100, it, it really is a bit of a head-scratcher. and makes you wonder, like, what exactly are they looking at, you know? And and what would his ranking be if he maybe would have committed to Alabama instead of Auburn? You know, I think that's kind of the thing when I look at it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think the same thing about Jeremiah Cobb. And I've watched this film a lot just to be like, okay, am I? what am I missing here? You know, because when I see him, I see a kid that's got some some legitimate talent to be an SEC running back. It, it, no matter what system he plays in, he's a really good football player, especially for a modern running back because he's right. he's a guy that can run between the tackles and get outside and catch the ball and do all that kind of stuff. And then you hit it right there. Uh, in this, if this was the 2012 rankings, wouldn't be in the top 100. You know, he'd be a or nice we'd, player. We'd be projecting him to corner, <laughs> or, or that, right? Or yeah, this is this is a strong safety projection, which you know we will never see again. Um, but yeah, and it, that's the other part of it. It's good. That's actually a great point. You've got to work on those evaluations that you you've always felt are important, but you've got to expand. It's like doctors have to go to continuing education uh, to continue to stay up on on the medical field, and, and I'm not associating what we do to to that you know level of importance, but there is a continuing educational element here and it's called football. It's luckily for us, it's right in front of us. We, we only have to watch on the weekends to figure out, okay, like this, these are the new things like, Oh, RPO. We weren't talking about this seven years ago. Um, you've got to play the modern game. And I think he's a great example of this. Not only is he, first of all, well put together five eleven, about two Oh five or so uh, he could really run in a straight line, which is a great modern trade and, and kind of a high floor conversation piece. But when he works outside and in space, he he hits another level. Uh, he's got the vision. He's got the burst and he's got some subtle moves. It's not the swiftest thing we've ever seen. Very efficient, or, very efficient, efficient runner. Yeah. And then what, what you do again, it's a well-rounded evaluation. So what do we see this off season? Multiple camps where he is making good linebackers, including a few in the 99, by the way, nearly fall down because of the routes and the speed that he's putting on them in one-on-one situations. Uh, And he can finish uh, around the football thereafter. So I I like the three down modern ability of Jeremiah Cobb, as opposed to the conventional 25 carries a game, you know, workhorse type of guy. He is not that, but he can do everything you need from a three down perspective in today's college football so when you talk about the best that's what you want to see you want to see the Bijan robinson type of player who can hurt you no matter the down the distance where he's lined up the play call all of those things those are the game breakers and those are the the si 99 candidates for me because they can you know they can make you look really smart at the end of the day and, and he's he's a kid that i'd bank on for that a uh, great system again another guy who started since he was a freshman if you you can't follow it by now that's something i really like in in my high floor evaluations uh and he keeps getting better every single year that's another really big indicator for continued success uh so yeah i'm, I'm really bullish on jeremiah cobb i actually like this auburn class it's just very small 
It's a right. very small class, but they're they're doing a good job with the guys they land. They just need to do more of it. I have a feeling we're going to have a show at some point in time during the season of who was going to try to pick at the Auburn class. Because there are some guys in there that that you're like, you know what? Like, let's make a run at this guy with all the stuff swirling around Brian Harson. Like, that's I mean, we need a running back. There's a pretty good one down there. Need an edge rusher? I got a guy for you. It's going to make this very fascinating. So, John, that is going to do it for episode number one of the State of Recruiting. Make sure that you subscribe to CFB Nation on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We will continue to expand the different podcast platforms that we will be available. Of course, you can also sign up, uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube for further shows. We are going to do this once a week at least. There will be several weeks where maybe we do a little bit more, so you definitely want to stay locked into this. Uh, you can obviously, we'll give John will give you his Twitter address here in a little minute. So you can follow his work there as well. But this is going to be a fun year because I think this is the perfect year, John, to jump into the podcast form because there is going to be so much change and breakouts. And, you know, this guy we loved, but he's not having a great season. Or this class is like, where'd this school come from? You're seeing programs like Notre Dame and Miami really start and Tennessee starting to ascend up the rankings and, you know, new coaches and new places and flipping. This is going to be a fascinating year to follow recruiting. And in a, in a, it's always fun to follow recruiting, but this year I think it's going to be especially fascinating. And of course, we'll start talking more and more about 2024 at some point in time. So you're going to definitely want to stay locked into everything that we've got going on at CFB Nation, but especially on John's State of the Recruiting podcast. So make sure that you are on the lookout for that on our next edition. Yes, sir. BD, thanks for having me. Uh, State of Recruiting. Let's start talking about it and, and let's let's get a dialogue going. I'm, I love to hear from the audience, uh, what you guys think. We're always open to tweaks uh, and open conversations. Just be a little nice in the process. If John, you- let them know where they can find you on Twitter. Real simple, John Garcia underscore JR.